Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 150. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. This is the 150th episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, a huge milestone for me. And I want to take this time to thank all of you out there for being the supportive listeners that you are. I thank you for your emails, your support. I love your leadership stories. I love hearing from all of you. And if you're brand new to the show, thank you so much. And if you haven't done so, please take the time to go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Hopefully it's five star. It does so much for the iTunes algorithm, keeping us front and center. I haven't asked this for a long time. But gosh, it's such a small price to pay for all this free content. And thank you so much. If you could take the time, it takes about five minutes to go there and leave that rating and review. Thank you so much. Please keep reaching out to me. I love hearing your stories. I love hearing your leadership struggles, your problems. It helps me with the content uh, to create and to make sure that you're getting the best value that you can out of the show. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Well, I'm so thrilled to have back on my show, Chris Brogan. He's an advisor and a strategist to professionals and owners. It's business strategy meets powerful personal development from Chris through courses, consulting, coaching, and events. He has a unique uh, gift of blending clarity vision with pure action. He sought after a keynote speaker and has addressed crowds of thousands. He's been on the Dr. Phil show and once even presented to a princess. He's consulted with companies we all know like Disney, Microsoft, Coke, Titleist, PepsiCo, Google, Motorola, and many more. He's a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including his brand new one, The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. Chris, welcome back to the Dose of Leadership. You always make me sound better than I am, Richard. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I know, isn't it weird about bios? It's always weird to, at least for me anyway, to when people read them to, to hear them. I don't know. It makes me kind of feel kind of icky. But how about you? Does it make you feel kind of weird? You know, I always just think to myself, I am never going to be able to live up to this. <laughs> right. You know, I've I've done that a bunch of times walking onto a stage. Uh, you know, everywhere I go, I just have that feeling. I guess it's probably better that than the opposite. Just thinking, I am so amazing. <laughs> right. You guess you're right. Yeah. But you know, a lot of the things, and you talk about this in your latest book. You know, this, and uh, I've talked about this a lot on this show that the negative self talk that we we do to ourselves. You know, how many times? Even yesterday, and I was reading your book last night, and had that that section. You're like, how, how many times did I call myself stupid or like, ah, oh, you're so dumb? Why did you do that? I do that all the time. Why do we do that? There's a couple reasons. I think one is it defends us. One of the things that our inner critic does, according to Matthew McKay, who wrote a really great book about this called Self-Esteem, is the inner critic is a real uh, functioning voice inside our own psyche that tries to head us off at the past. And what it says is someone else is going to call you stupid, so I'm going to do it first. And uh, that way you'll kind of numb the pain of it. But the, the thing is, it really doesn't know that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's definitely a uh, scenario where your your brain uh, is trying to stop something that it doesn't know is going to happen, and it tries to be as harsh as it can because it thinks that's what you want to. And it turns out that's not really all we want. So how do we, how do you, how do you combat it? I mean, what do you do to kind of get past that? Um, I do a lot with affirmations, and I and I sort of do what I call uh, hire an inner coach. So I have I have affirmations. I read myself in the morning. Uh, you know, for example, I talk about you know what my stance is in the world and what's going to get me going there. And it deals with uh, responsibility and integrity and all those kinds of things. And it's just a it's just a real big opportunity 
to start the program on my own terms. And, and I think that's a, a really helpful thing. I do that before I, you know, a lot of people reach for their phone first thing to start checking into their email and whatever right. messages happened at night. But, you know, email is the perfect delivery mechanism for someone else's problems. And you've got to start on your own turf before you can move forward. Oh, that's a great point. You know, a lot of what you're getting to there is, and what I'm struggling with and trying to find to to get myself to do is, um, and I love what you said in your book about the difference between willpower and discipline. I thought that was so spot on. But uh, it's about retraining ourselves to, to start new habits. And um, a lot of that, what your book seems to kind of center around that, I mean, is that what you do? I mean, are you constantly retraining yourself to to adopt a new habit or retrain your brain to, for a new process? All the time. And, and what's really interesting, I just wrote about this uh, in this course that I do called Owner Mastery Foundation Group. And I talked about the fact that you have to throw out your good habits as well as your bad. And the reason is that a lot of our habits are what are self-perceived high watermarks. So, uh, for instance, in fitness, if I think that I can only deadlift 315 pounds and I'm standing there getting ready to get to the bar and I think, well, I'm only going to get one because that's what I always get. Guess what? I'm going to get one. If I get up there and I think, well, I'm going to go for three because I've been getting one so consistently that it's got to be there's more juice in the tank here. I might get three. So, um, it's not that you shouldn't have habits. I think habits are very important. I think that, you know, processes and, and systems to kind of keep things going are really important, but you have to shake those loose as well. Right. Uh, there, there was a strategy uh, contest, I guess, uh, with the U.S. Armed Services, and they were trying to determine which strategy was the most effective in the most variety of ways. And it was this one that you probably know called the OODA loop, yep. uh, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. And I think that what's great about that is it, it basically starts with take nothing for granted. And I like that as a, pro a process for myself. And I just think that uh, from that, you can sort of plug in those things that you feel you know. But even then, you've got to just kind of keep an eye open for where there's going to be something that'll bite you for your own self-perceptions. Yeah, I love that. And once, and it's like you said, it's it's not being a – it really is an intentionality of quitting the wrong ones. I mean there's nothing wrong – There's as you put in your book, there's there's great joy in quitting the right things. And uh, we got to make sure that we're kind of – quitting at the right time or quitting the right uh, right negative habits anyway. Absolutely. And I mean, for instance, well, I mean, there's things people tell me all the time, like for instance, again, it's just easy to use fitness examples, but someone says to me, I have to have a cookie before I go to bed. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> right. There's no there's no chemical system in your body that's saying cookie time. Uh, it's just something we've trained ourselves. So, I mean, there's a lot of that that we can look at. And, you know, we always talk about getting outside our comfort zone. And that's a really overtrod part of leadership right. stories. Um, but I think there's a zone outside the uh, other comfort zone. So there's comfort zone. There's what's right outside it. And there's what's way past that. And you, having gone through your military training, know what that feels like yeah. because you had to go through it. Not many people ever have to go through anything that test their outer limits and i think that you know what the, all the treasures out there richard is what i think yeah so is, should that be our goals to try to get past the way uncomfortable zone should that should that what we all should be striving for i think if i think if you know leadership and and self-ownership matters to us uh, you know if you're really happy being a cog then no have a ball just sit in the comfort zone right but you know nothing worth having comes from comfort uh birth is not comfortable, right. so I'm told. You know, uh, <laughs> everything about going to a gym is tearing up old muscle and putting in new systems and saying, "I'm going to rip you down so that I can get stronger." And you know, nothing in life. I mean, daring to make a sales call is not comfortable. Everything that's really worth something is outside that zone. You know, the more that I, 
entrepreneurial I've become when I finally kind of stepped out in faith and in fear and and started becoming more uh, kind of embracing my inner freak, if you will, kind of in line with your book, the more that um, it's almost like the world opened up in a whole different uh, color spectrum, if that makes sense. And I still work for a major corporation, but it just seems like what's become so clear to me. And again, I'm not this isn't a statement of, oh, I'm better than them. I don't mean any of that at all. But I just, the, the kind of um, how we celebrate mediocrity has become so prevalent to me when I look around. Um, I guess the more entrepreneurial I've become, the more I've noticed mediocrity. And it really bothers me. What, what do you think about, about mediocrity and what I just said? The time for average is over, Richard. Uh, in my mind, it used to be good enough to be good enough. Right. And that's no longer okay. And it isn't that you have to be amazing on someone else's scale of measurement. That is the most important thing I can tell you first, is that the minute I say the time for average is over, you should, as you're listening to Dose of Leadership, you human, uh, you should nod your head and go, you're right. The time for average is over. And then not think, who's going to judge me? You judge you. You're the one competing against yourself. You compete every day against you. And, and it's just no longer okay to be good enough. Um, we used to have cushy jobs. We used to have corporations that would keep us from you know, cradle to grave. Uh, you used to think in your life, well, maybe I'll go from Ford to GM and that's it. But that's not how it works anymore. I remember, you know, I'm 44. I remember when I was 21 reading an article saying we would all have five to seven major career changes in our lifetime. Right. That number's up to 14 yeah. major Isn't career amazing? changes yeah. in our lifetime. Uh, and no one's safe. I mean, Richard, I'm talking to you from the inside of the guts of a factory. So where I'm sitting is what was Detroit before Detroit up in Massachusetts, right. where, where horse-drawn carriages were made. And this was an epicenter. And it is a teeny tiny town next to a pathetic little working river. Uh, and I'm in the guts of a factory. And why am I here? Because factories went somewhere else, just like cubicles have gone somewhere else. And now all the cubicle people are now back inside of factories because there's not that many of those jobs. Because who did they wipe out first starting in 2008 when they had the cover of financial independence problems? Uh, the people in the middle. That's right. Yeah, and I love that. And people shouldn't be afraid when they say it's safe. It's just a reality that you need to get to get uh, comfortable with. Because, and that's what I love the title about your book. You know, the freaks shall inherit the earth. And you know, more I thought about last night after I finished it, it, almost everything in significant history, almost everything, was started by what you label as freaks. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Everything of significance was created by freaks. No question. I mean, there's there is no change that happened. I mean, I'm looking at the people that you interview. You, I mean, you have such a wealth of people on this show and I'm looking at people, uh, you know, that you have like Bob Lutz. Bob Lutz made some, you know, intense changes to the system. Right. Uh, there were all kinds of people like that, that came along and just really crushed it and really pushed through very different perspectives. And, uh, we, we chat, we celebrate guys like Steve Jobs. We celebrate guys like Steve Forbes. All of these kinds of people in our life are people that that we think of uh, as leaders. And what leader always means is didn't follow the directions. Yeah, right, that's right. <laughs> you know, George Lucas, when he made Star Wars, I mean, in 1977, there was no CGI. Yeah. So in 1977, he was taking a whole bunch of battleship parts and gluing them all together and going, that kind of looks like a spaceship. <laughs> right. And that became the movie to beat for like 30 plus years and only because someone decided to do something way outside the norm. And once, one, when one person's doing it, it's weird. When a couple of people are doing it, it's that, that fad. And then when a lot of people are doing it, it's that thing we better get on. And when everyone's doing it, you better be looking for the next something. Yeah, you know, when you study all those, and, and you, you brought up movies, and I love, 
I love watching documentaries about how movies were made. I mean, I don't know why I'm just completely fascinated about them. Like I watched this weekend the one about Caddyshack. I've seen it a couple of times, but it's just so fun to watch. And then the one about The Godfather. And every great movie that we we hold up there and they've just been icons, almost invariably, every single one of them when they were starting, the studios were like, oh, no one's going to want to watch this. I mean, it was this, it, they were the directors were just told no, 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 no. And they just kept persisting and being tenacious and they saw their vision they kept going and they had no idea if it was going to work i mean i mean jaws star wars godfather you name it the list goes on and on almost every single one of those movies they were bucking a completely uh bureaucratic and monolithic system i read uh, very specific to the godfather for instance that uh, mario puzo when he finished the godfather uh and and had done the screenplay for it and all that had this feeling like I didn't even know what the heck I was doing. I felt like a total fraud. What right. the heck? So he decides to take a class on screenplays. He goes to the class, and what were they doing? They were tearing apart The Godfather as one of the best screenplays ever written. Isn't that amazing? And he just sat there thinking, well, this isn't going to help me. I didn't <laughs> know what I was doing. And guess what? You know what? There's a secret in there, Richard, that everyone should really know. A lot of people don't know what they're doing. They just get through. Yeah. You know, I, a little secret. I, I don't think you'd get mad that I'd share this. I've shared this with a couple people, but when I got off the inter- interview with Steve Forbes, and I wish I would have had the recording on. We were just talking, chatting a little bit after it was done. And uh, he admitted that. He said, even now, sometimes I wake up and I just don't feel like I know exactly what to do next. And that just floored me. But that was also inspirational because of thinking, hey, we're, we're all the same. It's no different. There's, there's no different. You know, it, We're all capable of doing great things if we just step out in that faith and that fear. Everyone that we hold up like that, I mean, my business hero is Sir Richard Branson. And, you know, no one can tell him how to make a company to go out in outer space. Right. Uh, you know, it hasn't happened before. He's he's launched 400 plus companies. And in all cases, he didn't really know what he was doing when he started. He just said, let's figure it out. And he hired a bunch of smart people and really trusted that they were going to get it done with him. And I mean, that's, I mean, one of the biggest tenets in the book, so much so that I wrote the chapter twice is fall in love with not knowing. Yeah. Because from that point is where you get everything else. You know, I got two, I have two, my two oldest daughters, I have four daughters total, but my two oldest are very, very creative. I mean, I'm just completely blown away. I mean, if you could see, I know parents always brag about their kids and I'm not, but if you could see how they draw and the creative mindset that they have. And it seems like, uh, as you write in the book, the more creative you are, it seems like the more um, freakish you are in a good way. And I try to bring that out in them. But what's amazing what I find out, uh, and I got them out of the school and I got them in another school that kind of embraces their, their freakishness. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's amazing to me how much that tries to get tamped down and tries to be put into a, um, you know, this is what you should be doing. And, um, I don't know what, what, what do you find in that? Do you think that's prevalent everywhere or, but it, cause it, I guess why I'm bringing that up is because all the great things like we've talked about, and I try to tell my daughters this because they feel this pressure from trying to conform. And I try to tell them, I said, look, you know, all the great things, all the people that have done great things have been people just like you who aren't necessarily fitting into the, to the popular kid or the popular cheerleader or the popular football player. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so I have two kids. Uh, one of them is very happily ensconced in the public school system and very well served by another is in a uh, private school, but not like the tie and, you know, suit kind of yeah, right. private school. She's in a like hippy dippy kind of private school. And I asked her, you know, hey, what's it you know, like here? Because, you know, she was sort of the weirdo at her old school. She goes, dad, they're all weirdos here. 
And I was like, is that a good thing? She goes, it's the best. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that there needs to be both. I mean, there's some people that would really do well with sort of military boot camp style schooling that right. would not really do well in kind of a free and open wheeling environment. Um, it just sort of depends on the, the child and their intentions. But what I did have the opportunity to talk about recently, I was at a high school for a whole day and I got to teach to every single class or I guess I wouldn't say teach, let's say spoke in their direction. Um, and the superintendent of schools came and this is like a very progressive school and it was very pride and joy kind of experience for him. But here I was kind of like telling him his baby's ugly. And he, he asked a really good question, which was, well, what would you do, smarty pants? And I thought, oh, here we go. So I said, well, this is kind of how I say about it in my book as well. I would choose your own adventure. I would make the learning experience a lot more individually guided because if your kid wants to learn about, I don't know, My Little Pony or Minecraft, then they're going to do a heck of a better job of taking on science projects that somehow relate to this, like how to build uh, gunpowder, for instance, you know, and what really goes into it versus what you do in Minecraft kind of a thing. Um, that's how kids will learn, not, you know, must learn thing to make one an engineer uh, for a job that doesn't really exist anymore. Right. No, I love that. You know, what I love about your book, it speaks to when I first uh, got it, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be all about the startup entrepreneur. But you spend a lot of energy and effort talking about, um, and I hope I'm saying this right, the employee-inure. Am I saying that word right? The person that's kind of ensconced in that, and, and happily so, in the um, kind of corporate environment, but who just really wants to kind of make an impact and crush it. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. So I stole that term employeepreneur from James Altucher and he, I think, first talked about it in Choose Yourself, but probably even before that. And it's basically this whole concept that, you know, there are employees who use the resources of their corporation in an entrepreneurial fashion. And remember, you know, a simple definition of entrepreneur is somebody who exerts some amount of risk to seek a different kind of reward. You know, so you're not looking for uh, the standard typical salary, for instance, or the standard typical job duties. You're looking for something that rewards you for exerting and taking some effort that goes a little bit beyond. Um, so employeepreneurs are people who are still inside the confines of a corporation but have an entrepreneurial bent. They might work with project teams the way that you and I might work with vendors. And they look at their internal customer as a customer. And they look at you know their metrics and all that. And I think that when that works, it's a huge opportunity. And there's so many other people uh, that you know, sort of don't look for that. And it, it, this goes back to our conversation just moments ago about the school system as well. One of the things I'm teaching my kids is there's the grades the teachers think matter and there's what really matters. And you always have to parse that out because there's the rules of the system and sometimes you have to appease those rules. Right. But you always have to have your eye on the bigger game because those two things don't line up ever. There's no part of life where the, the metrics in place are the metrics that you really want to look at. Oh, that's great. I love that you said that. That's so true. Yeah, I guess that was kind of a aha moment for me because I've had that similar conversations with my kids. They're like, well, this doesn't make any, it's kind of like the old adage of like, well, why am I studying math? Because I'm never going to use it. Well, it's just kind of like, hey, well, you just got to get through this, you know, to get this kind of check in the block because that will lead to your greater things. Never lose sight of the of the bigger picture, what you're trying to do. I love you said that. My favorite part of the book, uh, what I really got out of it, was your daily framework. I love that list that you put together. I'm going to start incorporating that. I'm going to challenge myself for the next two months to, to do the type of list that you do. I've always been kind of a list guy, but I went away from it because I'm like, I'm, I've shifted from doing, being a to-do list guy to a priority list guy because to-do lists to me were, were static. Priority lists were ever-changing, living, breathing documents and changed based on the situation and as long as they were aligned with my purpose and in, in, uh, in, 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 uh, soul. 
But your list, that daily framework is great because it, it, it takes it even a step further. Talk to me about your daily framework and how you incorporate that. So one of the things I always try to tell people is that, you know, we do this weird disconnect in our lives where we forget that the day is what makes up the week is what makes up the month, which makes up the year. So we tend to have this thing, you know, someone will say to me, my goal is to make a million bucks a year. And I go, oh, that's good. So that's 84,000 a month. That's about 21,000 a week. What are you going to do to make 21,000 a week? And then they go, uh, (laughs) right. And then there's, that's it. That's the end of the story. Then they go, you know what? Maybe my goal is to make 300,000 a year. And I go back through the same math again uh, and they go, oh, okay. Um, and, you know, it, a million bucks a year sounds great, but you sort of have this magic idea that like, you know, on March 4th or whatever, I mean, pick any random date, the, the money fairy will come and drop a million dollars off. And that's not how it works. You know, someone wants to lose 30 pounds or something. They start one pound at a time, just like every oh, other right. human, unless you chop a leg off. Um, so one concept I put together was sort of a, you know, what's your three month goal? What's your week's big goal? What must you do today? You know, what's your mantra for today? What should you watch out for? And what kind of prize? What, what will you reward yourself with for, you know, being this successful person? Uh, also, there's sort of a, you know, let's make a what not to do list. It's amazing to me uh, how many things we fill our day with. Uh, one simple example, Richard, we tell people, people all the time tell me, oh man, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Yeah. Anytime anyone asks me if I'm busy, I say, nope. I schedule 40% of my day period. I think in the book I might have said 60%, but even that's a lie. I, I schedule 40% of my days. Why? Because we run no other system at 100%. Right. We don't run our computer at 100% because we couldn't even switch between apps if we did that. You don't run your car at 100%. It would explode after about four minutes, maybe less. Well, why do we run our schedule at 100 or 120 or 150% so that any little hiccup can knock it down? Right. right now, if one of my kids calls in sick, my life is fine. I can go take care of the kid, get it back to his mom, you know, whatever, it'll all be fine. Uh, If I drove all the way to the airport for a flight, I could come all the way back if I had to. I haven't really wrecked my day. It'll all be fine. So uh, that's built around things like putting time constraints on interviews, putting time constraints on projects. When even if you're the employee, you can push for changes in the culture. It's amazing how many times people just say yes to something because it's how we've always done it. Of course, the meetings are an hour. That's what they always are. You can say to somebody, why don't we try a 20-minute meeting? You'd be amazed the responses. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. The book is chock full of so many great little nuggets, Chris. I think it's, you know, it's one of your better pieces of work. I, I, you know, I'm not just saying it because you're on the show, but um, like I said, I, when I went through it, I, I grabbed at least a half dozen things in the first hour that I read it that I'm going to try to incorporate in my life. So, I mean, it's just, it's, and it's for everybody. It's not just for the startup entrepreneur. It's for anybody out there kind of want to make an impact and uh, do something larger than themselves. So, so congratulations on, on a, a book. Well done. Richard, it means the world to me. You say so. Thank you. And I'm so grateful to be uh, in your community again. I think you've done a lot of great work here. Well, I appreciate that. Hey, you know what? I was going to tell you, I knew early on that you were going to be a good dude to talk to because I found out that one of your favorite pieces of food is was shepherd's pie. And I am like a shepherd's pie freak. And uh, I didn't know anybody out there liked shepherd's pie. I was almost embarrassed to admit that I like it. But now that I know that you like it too, um, I knew you were going to be a good interview. Oh my goodness. That's a really funny one to connect on. But, you know, I'll tell you, my folks, you know, were working class people growing up and they did this amazing thing that I never really ever felt like we didn't have much money. Like even if times were tough and my dad was working two or three jobs sometimes to cover everything, we'd eat a lot of shepherd's pie because it's basically, you know, the way we, we made it was a bunch of hamburger, a bunch of corn and a bunch of mashed potato. Have right. a nice day. Yep. A little butter on top. Yep. And 
you know, we could eat that two or three times a week. And I would think, hooray, shepherd's pie again, right. not realizing that it's a cheap meal if you're running low on funds. That's but, right. <laughs> tell you what, Richard, you know, it's those things that, you know, put together our lives and I'm all happy for it. Well, I know that was kind of a weird connection, but I just thought it was, I just wanted to bring that up. I wanted to bring it up in the last interview, but I did. And I just thought about it as we're wrapping up here, but uh, guys, you're, you're one of the, you're one of the good ones out there, Chris, you know, common sense and uh, you, know, you got a great story and, uh, and I think you're inspirational, all of us. And then I'm so glad that you came back on the show. My utter pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. We'll have you back again. Talk to you soon. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.